Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. And I'm Chris Huddleston. And today we are revisiting another of our childhood favorites. We are going to talk about Walt Disney's The Black Hole. There is an inexorable force in the cosmos where time and space converge. A place beyond man's vision, but not his reach. It is the most mysterious and awesome point in the universe. Where the here and now may be forever. On my ship, you ask. is headed straight for the black hole. What'll we do? We wait. Okay, so that was a three-and-a-half-minute trailer. Uh, for better or for worse, we included the whole thing for you there. Um, Chris, do you have a synopsis of this for us? I do. This is from IMDb. An Earth exploratory ship, the USS Palomino, discovers a black hole with a lost ship, 
the USS Cygnus just outside its event horizon. Deciding to solve the mystery, the Cygnus are the Palomino's captain, Dan Holland, his first officer, Lieutenant Charlie Pizer, journalist Harry Booth, scientist and ESP sensitive. That's an interesting thing that we need to talk about. Dr. Kate McRae, whose father was the Cygnus's first officer, Dr. Alex Durant, the expedition civilian leader, and the robot known as Vincent. The Palomino attempts a dangerous flyby of the darkened ship as they come within close range of it. The buffeting they experience suddenly ceases. They bring more instruments to bear on the derelict, but do not even realize the gravity-free zone is artificial. Slipping outside it, they are almost drawn into the black hole, an abyss from which no one can escape. Matters worsen when Reinhardt holds the crew captive after realizing that they can help him reach his goal. I don't know, and then it kind of trails off after that. So it wasn't as great of a, a synopsis as what I initially. Well, it's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, that's but, for sure. But it does. Um, I thought that was better than me trying to just stumble through, you know, saying what it's about. Oh yeah, for sure. So why don't you? Why don't you start? Because both of us saw this when we were kids. Yeah. So I'll I'll give just a a really brief kind of my background with this movie. So. My parents took me to see this in the theater. I guess I would have been six, um, six years old. This came out December, uh, December 21st, 1979. So it would have been about a month before my, I guess it would have been like a month before my sixth birthday. Is that right? Anyway, I was a little kid. And uh, then I watched this countless times on HBO afterward. And... As a kid, this was right up there with Star Wars for me, and and not to uh, you know not to sound too corny, but this is definitely one of these movies that shaped my love of movies. Um, so it's you never know when you watch these movies, something like this that's forty years after it originally came out. You know, it's it's impossible to separate the nostalgia factor. From this, if I just watched this for the first time as an adult, I would probably look at it differently than I do, you know, having it seen it so many times as a kid. But um, now later on, we'll, we'll definitely have to spoil this. I don't. I don't think we can talk about this without talking about the ending. Right, um, and that's becoming a common theme with us. Yeah, is, is you know, so maybe we need to change so that we announce what we're going to do next time, but we keep asking people to turn off the podcast. And yeah. Watch it. Um, right. Yeah. But spoiler it's alert. One of those things. It's, all about it. Yeah. It's 40 years old. I mean, if I figure most people, if they wanted to see it, this movie, they've seen it by now, I would imagine. But, but anyway, yeah, we're going to spoil. And so as far as my thoughts on the movie, watching it now, I'll, I'll just kind of quickly go through, I'll start with the bad and then go to the good. The bad with this is, so this was two years after Star Wars, but it feels much older to me than, instead of being a late 70s movie, this, watching it, it looks like something from the late 60s or early 70s. Almost, You know, this seems like it could have come out around the time of Planet of the Apes or something, you know? Interesting. Uh, I I mean, that's just my thought. It, It also, so this was a Disney film, and... I was struck by, this is something that I don't know if I can exactly articulate, but it has the look of 
those 60s and 70s Disney comedies, you know, stuff like Herbie, Herbie the Love Bug and uh, Pete's Dragon and that kind of thing. I don't know if it's just the lighting or the film stock they used or what, but it just it it even though it's not a comedy, it it looks a lot like those movies, I think. Um, The effects don't hold up well. It was really noticeable how when they're floating around in space, there's almost no depth. Um, and we can get into this a bit more, but it's, it's kind of hard to figure exactly who this movie was meant for, because there are definitely things, you know, we're saying we liked this as children, but it's a bit, you know, you have the, the Vincent and this other robot Bob who are kind of comedy relief, I guess you could say, but all of the human characters in this are you know, older people, there's not any, you know, kids or anything like that in that, uh, in it. So, um, and there's definitely some things that, that come off as, as hokey, the positives, the, the main theme music to this, I think is fantastic. I love the, the main, the main theme. Some of the score is, yeah. Some of the score is a little corny, but that black hole theme that, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I I love that the the ship, the Cygnus, is a really cool design. I I love the look of the ship. Um, it looks like a palace. It looks yeah. like a, you know, uh, and and like you see sometimes um, the Taj Mahal or something in there, but a, a, a grand palace with like um a reflecting pool. So it's yeah. doubled. So there's a sort of a central spire and that is repeated on the bottom of the ship. And it's, it's really a striking, some of the design in this is really striking. Definitely. And I, I feel like when you talk about the, the, the robots, the, the cutesy robots that are kind of comic relief, I feel like some of the design really feels really original and other elements of the design feel utterly mismatched Mm -hmm. tone wise. Um, Anyway, I interrupted you. Oh no, no, that's fine. And then, uh, so yeah, there's definitely some great design stuff. Um, Maximilian, this kind of villainous robot. I love the design of him. I had a toy of that when I was a kid, I had a Maximilian toy and I had a black hole pop-up book that I loved. Um, Yeah. I think there's I really like the sound design in this. The the sound of the of the droids moving around, the the sound that Vincent makes when his head turns and and yeah. Maximilian and all that. There's a lot of really good uh sound design. And we hadn't haven't, haven't even talked about this. You have a fantastic cast. Yeah. Um you have Anthony Perkins, Robert Forster, uh Ernest Borgnine, the the two robots or droids or whatever are Roddy Mc, are voiced by Roddy McDowell and uh, Slim Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens, what a what an interesting choice. Yeah, so uh, you know those are those are good positive things about it. So tell me what you think. Well, I I agree with everything you said. One of the delightful things for me because I this we're the same age and. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, I saw this when it came out and I think Star Wars was probably the first movie I ever saw in the theaters. 
Me so, too, I'd say, yeah. You know, and it got its hooks in it got its hooks in me good mm-hmm. um, as designed. So, you know, and I was into Disney movies because I was that age. And sure. So when Disney did a space adventure movie, uh, I couldn't wait to go see it. What surprised me in rewatching it as an adult, and I have not seen it in a long time, mm-hmm. um, decades, um, was how actually scary it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Disney, and we hear it in the trailer here, which I didn't watch until uh, just before here where I downloaded the audio of it. Um, it's really framed as a, as a very, it's a framed as a horror movie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't remember that when I sat down to watch the film and I would say that the overall tone of the movie doesn't feel, um, certainly not of the contemporary movies that are framed as horror movies. I thought, Oh, it's Disney. Right. But you know, it's Disney. There's no spraying blood, but you know, the Anthony Maximilian kills the Anthony Perkins character with his like whirling blade hands. Yeah. That's really upsetting. I mean, those those scenes came back to me. Um, then they come smashing back in my memory when I saw them like oh my god yeah I forgot that happened and they take the kind of silver dome off of one of the quote unquote robots and there's this sort of emaciated um, corpse like face underneath it that's another jarring horror reveal and then later they tr- they're going to turn um I forget the character's name, the the woman with ESP. They're going to turn her into one of the... And her name is Dr. This, Kate McRae. They have Dr. McRae wrapped up in, in these sort of coffin-like conveyor things that rotate around, and they have this little laser that's like... And she's screaming in pain right before they manage to rescue her. I'm like, this is a kid's movie. Like, this is the stuff of nightmares. Which... When I think back to the late 70s in Disney, I I have a vague memory of something like Escape from Witch Mountain or something like that. Like that wasn't out of their wheelhouse. They did scary. Um, Disney didn't shy away from stuff that could, you know, what we think of today could scar a kid, like leave a mark on a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. The opening of Bambi is Bambi's, uh, is it mother and father getting shot or is his father getting shot and his mother dying in a fire? I mean, it's like, I don't remember exactly. It's crazy. And there's another title that I mentioned, uh, escape from Witch mountain. Or oh yeah. Like I love those kids. movies too. When I was a kid. And those are, that's Disney too, right? Yeah. yeah they always put, put the little bit of scary stuff in there. So there's not like blood and brains and gore. But there's like really upsetting conceptual stuff. For sure. Um, anyway, uh, so, and then I forgot what happened when they went through the black hole. And that's really interesting. Yes. So, of course, you know, it, there's, and there's a moment that they don't hit real hard where you're going to have to help me with the name. So the guy on the ship who is the, the, the Captain Nemo character. The, yeah, he's Dr. Hans Reinhardt. Reinhardt. So there's a point where Reinhardt and Maximilian and their ship, um, two of the two of the our hero 
crew are left behind mm-hmm. and all the other ones have made it back to their ship and are planning to escape, but they don't want to leave Dr. McRae and the captain, whatever his name is behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's the Anthony Perkins character who is yeah. interested in the scientific element of it. So he wants to stay on the ship and go. So the, the rest of them. So basically this Reinhardt, he believes that he can go through the black hole which the the other people you know are like that's impossible and so but he's all... invented this gravity technology which is why he's hovering on the edge of the event horizon yeah and they get sort of as they try to fly by they get caught in the kind of calm of that technology and he's like this is going to allow me to fly through it and see what's on the other side right and so the others they think it's insane so they're going to get back in their ship and fly away. But Anthony Perkins wants to stay on the Cygnus with, with him and go through the black hole. That's and they don't really, million want, killed they don't him. really want to let him. Right. Um, and I forget why Dr. McRae stays with Anthony Perkins or if they just sort of get separated or what. Keeps well, she behind. tries to, uh, she's kind of hanging out there. Uh, I think she doesn't know that the other ones, the other ones. So, so Vincent, the robot has figured out, so we haven't said this is a major spoiler thing, but what it turns out. So when they get on the ship and they meet this Dr. Heinz, uh, Hans Reinhardt, he tells them that all of his crew are dead and he has all of these robots now. And, and this, um, the Dr. Kate McRae, her father had been on the ship. And right. he tells her that, you know, that he died as, as well. So she finds out. So Vincent, the robot, finds out from this other robot, Bob, that uh, this Reinhardt is insane. He has um, he has taken all of his crew and turned them into robots. And so uh, the the other people other than Kate and this. Uh, Alex, who's Anthony Perkins, they're hanging out with Reinhard, like sort of on the, I guess you'd say like the bridge of the ship. The others are heading back to their ship. And then because for whatever reason, why they, this was one thing that I did not remember. I remembered most things about this movie, but I did not remember. She has a psychic link with Vincent, the robot. So Vincent finds out, you know, that this, guy is this evil uh essentially you know he's murdered all these people basically and what was that i'm sorry he's insane yeah he's insane and so vincent tells kate this so she's so she now knows this that they're in danger uh and she's trying to alert anthony perkins to this but it's like she's trying to stay cool and um they try to go and get on the elevator to leave. And then that's when Maximilian goes in and, and kills Anthony Perkins. Yeah. So she has ESP, but she can communicate telepathically with the robot. Yeah. That was like, I say, I did not remember that. And that was a very weird concept. That's not really explained, you know, why she would be able to have, be able to communicate with the robot in this way, but it's just, it's just part of the movie, you know? But there is that moment where after Maximilian kills, um, 
uh, Alex is his name. Alex is mm-hmm. his name. Anthony right? Perkins. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony you can Perkins. just call him by their their yeah, yeah, yeah. real names. After Maximilian kills him, there's a moment where um, Reinhardt says to McRae, "Protect me from Maximilian." Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and all throughout it, we think of Maximilian as as Reinhardt's heavy. Like mm-hmm. Reinhardt, it gets to play this genteel, well, sort of genteel. It's Captain Nemo, you know. He's he says, you know, he serves them a fine dinner, but they're prisoners, really. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't call them that, and he doesn't threaten them. But but there's Maximilian that is this implicit threat, like he's bright red, and it's very Darth Vaderish, except yeah. that he's red, he's gleaming, and he has a sort of um. Cylon-esque red eye slit, but it curves up ominously. I mean, it looks evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's always hovering around, like, checking on them and stuff and, and menacing. So it's interesting at that point in the movie to find out that Reinhardt is... Well, it's hard to tell because it's not a moment they lean on heavy and he, his delivery is kind of flat. It wasn't clear to me if he's truly afraid of Maximilian or if he's trying to, you know, manipulate them in some way and play uh, some sort of sympathy card. Right. I just wasn't sure about that moment, but it stuck out at me. And it humanized him a little bit, you know, instead of making him this super cartoony villain, I felt that, you know, that gave him a little little more humanity. And Max, the, the actor who plays him is named Maximilian Schell, and he's way over the top. He's really chewing scenery. You know, yeah. and everything in this, but he's but he's pretty great. Um, yeah, I did not like um, the Vincent robot design. It's it's R two D two, but it's anthropomorphized. Right. So he hovers. They've actually given him uh, like video game like eyes. He has these, yeah. but, but it's analog, right? So he's got this top piece that's sort of mushroom shape that can slide up and down like if he collapses it he's sort of uh barrel shaped but yeah. then the top comes up and it reveals these big like literally cartoon eyes they're sort of they're not pure circles but they're not squares they're sort of you know they look like i'm trying to think of the video game character but it's it's right off a cartoon and the the pupils pupils why does it have pupils you know yeah. they're obviously not cameras they they move mm-hmm. around it's it's utterly distracting and i i think that the um the vocal performance isn't cutesy like no. he has he's real sarcastic you know yes and very proud of his intelligence and loyal to the crew but never misses an opportunity to demonstrate to, to quote some quip, like he, he's definitely got a personality and it's a fussy borderline insufferable personality. But as they approach the ship, he's also outside trying to do something to save them. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he's losing his grip and they go, you know, the first mate or whatever is like, no, we can't leave him, you know? And the captain says, you know, we, we can't afford to, you know, we're all, if we try and stop, Something basically like he knew the risks or whatever. He's not mm-hmm. happy about leaving him. And then Vincent manages to to kind of save himself with a grappling hook. And 
it demonstrates that they all care about him very much. And, yeah, the guy and says, what, "What if it were one of us?" And the other, the other guy says, "Well, he is one of us." Right. Right. Um, and it, it really eloquently demonstrates that the robot is willing to sacrifice him, despite his sort of superior demeanor. He's willing to sacrifice himself mm-hmm. without reservation for this crew. Um, and I think that that kind of thing lands. Yeah. But then there's a thing later. So they use Slim Pickens for the other voice. I mean, so his voice, it's funny because he, he, his look is reminiscent of R2-D2, but his voice is reminiscent of C-3PO, clipped and British and very formal. And, you know, you know, and, I, I almost, I don't mean to interrupt, but it was almost like they combined C-3PO and R2-D2, basically. Yeah. You know, he's kind of yeah. like built like R2-D2, but his personality is C-3PO, a, a, a brave C-3PO, basically. Right. And then... But cute and round mm-hmm. and action figurable, you know. It's a so then he meets the other one, the older one, Bob, right? That's been all, I guess, beat up by the newer robot bullies. That doesn't make any sense either. Um, but he's clearly, very clearly, had a physically rough time of it. And the choice of Slim Pickens is so interesting because he's got such a distinct vocal, you know. It's like, oh, I, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about it while we was around the other one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Why is he, you know, from this what one from robot Texas? talk like that? Yeah, exactly. But I think they said that he was from Houston. I think that was the explanation as to why he, he was from Houston, I believe. Okay, whatever, I'll buy it. And mm-hmm. But they have this kind of sharpshooter competition. Like the, the robots hang out for pleasure and do these kind of like, there's sort of lights that fly around and they shoot them. It's like target practice for fun. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking by, they go, go on, Vincent, you know, go, you deserve a break. Go, ha- no, go on and have some fun. Like go have, go play with the other robots. It's weird. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Vincent and Bob, their model or whatever are just naturally better. I, I don't know why one robot is a better sharpshooter than another. Yeah, I was robot. wondering that as well. It's like, I don't know that that seemed weird, but they clearly are. And there's, mm-hmm. so the other robots are kind of stormtrooper ish. And there's one that's like star. He has like a special name. Cause yeah. he's like a special elite version. He's all shiny black and he's, you know, got a real ego. It, they, they don't speak, but it's all, you know, he has got clearly got this kind of ego issue about being beat as a sharpshooter. It's just strange. I don't know how that fits into the whole thing. Mm-mm. It's kind of a, it's kind of a neat scene, but one thing that I wondered ab- ab- about those, and they clearly were trying to make them like storm stormtroopers, I think. Yeah. Um, were they fully robots or were they also part of the crew that he had were were the ones who were the the crew members were those just the people in the robes and the silver things were they the only ones or were those so the the stormtrooper guys they were strictly just robots or were they yeah because we see we see them shot up and they right okay yeah it's just circuitry and stuff isn't it yeah they kind of blow apart. So okay. those clankers are like clunk, clunk, clunk. They're literally stormtroopers. They're literally yeah. robot. Um, 
And you know, they were refers to as robots, but they're what's left of the crew. And they're one of the things that doesn't isn't. Uh, I don't think they work very well. They're they're pretty. They come off as pretty corny. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I so this from what I understand, like this was a pretty big flop for Disney. And, and, you know, it's one of those things when you're a kid, you just like what you like and you don't know about, you know, the box office and if it was a troubled production or anything like that. But and, and over the years, I haven't really, you know, looked into this really information about the production or anything. But I would be willing to bet that this was a too many cooks situation where because you have the things where, you know, there are clearly these really dark concepts in this. But then it's almost like you you would imagine that the Disney execs or, or whoever came in and was like, well, you know, star, everybody loves star Wars. And, you know, so we got to have an R2 D2 in there and you gotta, you know what I mean? I, yeah. th- this, this seems like more than one person's vision that kind of came together and didn't, um, I mean, I don't think the movie is bad. Um, but you know what I mean? The, the cutesy stuff in there with the very serious, it just seems kind of disjointed. What do you think? Yeah, well, that's that's why the trailer sort of surprised me because the trailer takes a very strong stance, mm-hmm. and I think that actually comes through in just the audio. Um, and yet, the movie doesn't feel like it commits fully to that. It's ominous, yeah, um, for sure, and the scary parts land. But it's a relatively slow feeling movie. It is, yeah. Because I, I was thinking, you know, I remembered most of the beats, but just I watched it last night and watching it, you know, it, you're about halfway through or maybe three fourths of the way through before there's kind of really any action. You know, yeah. it's it's a lot of dialogue and um it's it, more or less it's a mystery kind of because it's yes you know the the uh thing of that you know the he's turned the crew into robots you know that's kind of a almost like a twilight zone kind of a reveal um you know late late in the movie and let me ask you this this i don't think they ever actually say this And I don't know if I just imagined this uh, from childhood or what, but is Maximilian her father? That is that who is in the in the uh, that suit? No, that's not when they go through the black hole. Yeah, and you see his eyes and everything. No, I interpreted that. So, so, okay. So here we go. So they go, yeah, go, the go and go into the ending. So it, as it ends up, our intrepid crew doesn't, you know, the ship is, is sort of exploding and their only escape is, is the probe that was previously sent through and came back. So they right and they hop into it as a means of escape. And it's like already pre-programmed to go through the black hole. So they're like, we don't, we, I can't, we can't steer it actually. It's like, we're going through 
and everybody's like, oh boy. And they go through the black hole and there's some sort of 2001 mind bending psychedelics. And, um, they essentially, my interpretation of it is they go through heaven and hell. Or yeah, they go that's, through hell. That's what I've always thought, you know, since I was a kid, that that's what, what happened. And then they, well, I mean, it's this huge rocky place with flames. I yeah, mean, yeah. Well, and Dante looking. Well, and the other, so it's basically like Maximilian and Reinhardt. They're stuck in I, hell, basically. I interpret it when you see the eyes inside of Maximilian that that's Reinhardt. Oh, okay. Okay. See, I, I, again, I must've just dreamed this or imagined this, but all the, for 40 years, I've thought that Maximilian was this Kate's father. Why would he be in hell? Well, because he, you know, he would like did, was doing the bidding of, of Reinhardt or whatever. I don't know. I, I, like I say, I swear I thought that that she finds out at the end. I was surprised watching it that that wasn't hap- what happened, that, that she didn't find out at the end that, that, it's, that it was her dad in there. That it was sort of like her dad was his right-hand man and he made him into... Like made Vader. Him into yeah, kind of like, like Vader. Yeah, that's what I've thought. Like I say, for, for 40 years, that's what I've thought. And they never say that in the movie. So I just... I made that up somewhere along the way, but... My, yeah. See, I interpret it as it, it's just, it's Reinhardt. A robot's not going to go to hell. Like, yeah. It's but Reinhardt. That's why I thought, and, I, that's why I thought his, there was a man inside there. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. That's his torment is that he's it's sort of forever. in that shell, basically. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. He's not just afraid of Maximilian. He is, he is trapped inside Maximilian. Okay. In, that, in this that makes sense. I never... I never thought of it that way, but yeah, that makes I sense. I mean, but it, it, you know, it, this is a part of the movie that is not spoon feeding you answers. Mm-hmm. It's showing you images, suggestive images. Well, the two of them are floating around and then they kind of embrace and, and it, it could be that he like moves into that shell or whatever. I don't know. But then the other, you know, the good guys, to me, it's definitely like it's meant to be. They, they go through heaven because it's this crystal kind of, you know, they go through these crystal kind of corridors and then there's a, an angel or a ghost or something woman that kind of leads them through, you know? Yeah. And they come out on the other end to what, what you think is another part of the universe, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of, it's a very 2001 moment. There's a sort of, a, it's lined up. It's, um, you know, there's a, a planet there's a sun a, a star that is sort of breaching a planet and it, the design of it is like all the celestial bodies are in alignment and it's sort of everything quiets down and it's like oh they came through yet but that's the end of the movie mm-hmm. you know so we don't get to say oh great now they get to explore this like they don't have <laughs> you know you think about it so now it's it's um voyager you're marooned in space yeah <laughs> some unknown uncharted like I don't know how that's a happy ending. Like they survive. It's, yeah. How long are you going to live in that probe? <laughs> you know? That's the thing. I mean, this is for a kid's movie or a family movie or whatever. It's pretty, I mean, it's, it has some dark, it has some dark elements to it, you know? And I, I think that heaven and hell scene, that's really well done. I, I think that's, that still holds up pretty well. You know, I remember really being affected by that as a kid. And uh, and I think it holds up 
well today? It's, um, it's also interesting to me to think about the different archetypes, like the, the mad captain, sure. The stalwart captain of our, you know, team who's willing to make the tough decisions. Sure. The first mate who's clearly a, a good officer, but you know, has his, you know, hasn't quite had the experience yet to steal himself. Like he has a moment. He, he says, sorry, I blew my stack there, which is a funny yeah. term, of, but he didn't really, he was just worried. He's like, what are you made of? You know, when he, when he's willing to leave the robot behind. And then he's like, sorry, sorry. I kind of lost it there. And the guy's like, you know, I get it. I guess we all, I guess we all care about him. And then, you know, and McRae makes some sense. And, Anthony Perkins' character makes some sense. The Ernest Borgnine character, it's like there's a dash of Han Solo. I couldn't really, like, he's the one that's like, we got to get out of here, you know? He's the one that's like, always seeing opportunity and everything. Mm -hmm. I couldn't quite pin who that was supposed, you know, what role is, why is he even along with him? Did we establish that? I don't know because he's not a scientist. He doesn't seem to be the pilot. Um, he was a writer of some kind because they were talking about a magazine or something that he wrote for. So I don't know what his job was exactly. I don't know. Robert, I, I felt like Robert Forster was the, the Han Solo kind yeah. of, cause he's a little bit kind of sort of wisecracky a little bit, you know, uh, I don't yeah, know. Ernest Borden being like the reporter that's along for the ride, but they're in some deep space mission to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, I'm like, what? Why yeah, is this I, guy here? I mean, I love our Ernest Borgnine. I mean, you, what, you're not going to enjoy a performance by Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, I mean, but... he's, he's great. Everybody, uh, you know, again, it's one of these things where, you know, in hind now this is viewed as I think it some has somewhat of a cult following, but I think it was viewed as kind of a turkey at the time. But but you don't ever get the feeling that any of these actors are like, oh, I'm in a a lame kids movie or whatever. You no, know, I mean their performances commit. are good. They're all kind they of bringing it. Yeah. yeah. Now something. I do, go ahead. I sorry. do think your your too many cooks in the kitchen theory holds water because. <laughs> It you know, from the very beginning, the 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 uh, studio credits roll, and I just mean the like twentieth century Fox. I remember I started, I was like rent the movie and then play, and the first thing is is just black screen. Yeah, and it's the the opening title of the soundtrack. Right. In the same way that Star Wars hits you with that, you know, main theme, but there's no space, there's no crawl. It's just it's a, black, just a screen. black screen where they're like, "Listen to the beautiful space music." That's clearly a knockoff of, you know, what I mean, yeah. it's like a, not a knockoff, but they're going for the same. Thing. This kind of fanfare, you know, but it's but not the, the normal black hole theme that we hear throughout the movie. No, that that is totally memorable i remember this thing that they give its own they're like we're not even going to show you anything to distract you from the beauty of this musical majesty and i thought it was derivative i thought it sounded yeah 
forgettable and and very much a kind of a knockoff of the Star Wars soundtrack. And you're going for the big orchestral like we're in space and this is an epic thing. You know, you just kind of like yeah, that seemed really tacked on for sure. And it went on and on and on and on and on. And then you get these credits that are like introduce the movie basically and then you get into the movie yeah and the the cutesiness of the robot design you know felt like well we also want to make sure we can get some action figures out of this and you know do we can't forget it's a kids movie when nothing else in the movie is aimed at kids in the least no um, and, but then the gorgeousness of the design of the spacecraft, um, and I think some of the space effects and some of the black hole effects are pretty cool. Like, but internally and externally, the the ship design is is cool. And I thought the costume design was pretty cool too, because mm-hmm. it was somewhere between two thousand one and Star Wars. Like, it, they looked like plausible spacesuits from the future, like the kind of things an astronaut would wear underneath their, you know, out outside spacesuits. Um, and then you get on the ship and I don't think he's wearing epaulets, but uh, Reinhardt, you know, looks, it's a more sort of Russian thing, his character, you know. It's, and it goes along kind of with the eccentric nature of him as well. Yeah. And, and his quote unquote robots that are actually the formal crew. And he says, it's kind of, he even says it's kind of medieval, isn't it? But you know, I'm a romantic and you see that like they're, they're ghostly and creepy and they yeah, have they're creepy for sure. Mirrored domes on their faces that, you know, um, and Maximilian too, I, a little heavy handed with a, Oh, are we supposed to be scared of this guy? Duh. You know, mm. who designed this? <laughs> this sure. is a murder robot. That's what this is. But he um, looks cool. I mean, he looks, but it works in the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. It works in the movie. And I think you're right. The sound design is, is subtle and excellent throughout, but then some of the robots are kind of, you know, aimed at merchandising. And, and there's that scene where they have the sort of shootout and you're like, is this so, is this a tongue in cheek kind of fifties Western where they're like, you know, one upsmanship, but the, it's just, it's a little all over the place. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, I forget what it's maybe been 10, 10 years now, excuse me. <coughs> um, when the Tron sequel came out. Yeah. Um, the, the guy who directed it, uh, he was in talks to do a remake of The Black Hole, hmm. which, and the guy was, it sounded pretty good because I, I liked the, the Tron sequel. I thought it was pretty well done. And the guy was a big, from some articles that I read, he was a big fan of the original, uh, the original Black Hole. But this to me is kind of the ideal movie that done right could be a really good remake you know keep the design of the cygnus it doesn't need to be changed keep some of that score because it's really good keep the uh the design of maximilian and then the rest of it you have the benefit of today's special effects and you know you can get rid of some of the hokey stuff and uh it'll probably never happen but uh, I was kind of excited at the time because I thought, oh, this this could be, you know, updated 
could be pretty cool. It could be the concept of going to the edge of the black hole. I, I'm not sure that we still in popular culture entertain the idea of them as portals, you know, mm-hmm. old in space. I think uh, for the first person anyway, I think we understand, I understand black holes as a, a place where uh, mass gets to the point where it tips, right? So mm-hmm. it just becomes this this place where things cave in on themselves. Right. And there's not something on the other side of them. It's, it's literally a collapse point in the universe and it gets bigger and bigger. You know, the center of it is essentially a single point, but the mass of it is so massive that that single point never gets bigger and bigger, but the gravitational draw it has expands outward and outward, the more massive it becomes without getting any physically larger, right? It's literally a single point. Yeah. So the model of that becomes eventually, you know, the universe will, all those black holes all throughout the universe will continue to enlarge until they merge and there's two left and those merge. And then who knows what happens? Maybe the big bang. And mm-hmm. it starts all over again. But the idea that everything spewed outwards and when you have a thing like a star coalesce and then the core of it. Anyway, I'm t- this is turning into a TED Talk. But no, no. Um, I think that it was probably Einstein that proposed the possibility of like, well, maybe you go into the black hole and there's a way to come out of it on the other side. Like that folds space time or there's a entry point you know that instead of it being a three-dimensional dot it is actually a tube and i don't know that we conceive of it that way anymore maybe i'm wrong i don't know it's a great concept for science fiction i think you know yeah it makes for a fun uh um you know in the context of a movie like this but yeah i think you, you just it's not like people you don't hear a lot about black holes in, in general, you know? Um, uh, the, here was something, I don't know if this is funny, but, um, and it's, it's something I catch myself now with watching movies from the seventies and eighties a lot, thinking about the age of the actors. Yeah. How old do you think Anthony Perkins was when this movie came out? How does he look? Well, I mean, to me, Anthony Perkins always looks about forty-five. Oh, know? okay. See, I he's forty. He's forty-seven. I thought he looked like he was like well into his fifties. And Robert Forster was thirty-eight, mm. and I think he looks about fifty. Interesting. How old it, was Ernest Borgnine? Uh, Ernest Borgnine, I think, was sixty-two. So you know, he was he was born in like nineteen seventeen or nineteen nineteen or something like that. But it's just, I I catch my. I think it's just because I'm getting to an age where it's like, yeah. uh, you look and you're like, oh, I'm older than that person in that you know that I thought was old, you know, when I was a kid. But I, I think it's funny. 
it's funny to me because somebody who's in their 40s who is a movie star today looks much younger, I think, than somebody who was in their 40s in a movie in the 80s. Yes. You know? And I don't know what that is exactly. I don't know if it was because everybody smoked back then and they weren't into fitness the way, you know, somebody who's a a movie star now. But there was this was this has been several years ago because he's well past 50. But um, Tom, it was it was the year that Tom Cruise turned 50. And it was one, you know, it was like a meme or an article or something that I saw. And it said, uh, Tom Cruise is 50 years old and Wilford Brimley, when they made Cocoon, was 50 years old. (laughs) So it was like a side by side. It's like, here's 50, here's 50, you know? Wilford Brimley, I think, was just one of those guys who always, he was probably 25 and looked like he was, you know, 55 or something. But but I I do think it's... I think our ideas of fitness have changed and I think our ideas of beauty have changed as well, certainly in male actors, Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, you could be a Clark Gable or a Humphrey Bogart and be considered a handsome leading man. And both men were relatively funny looking. I mean, Humphrey Bogart's not funny looking in the way that Clark Gable is, but you know, today we have Brad Pitt, and it's a much more traditionally feminine, uh, symmetrical, sort of photoshopped concept of beauty mm-hmm. that is aligned with younger faces, right? And I, I think of um, Walter Matthau. You know, when you go back and you watch Walter Matthau's early pictures. He's clearly younger than when, you know, but he doesn't look fundamentally different. No. Um, and he just, you know, he looked like, a, and it was, a, they were compelling and they were magnetic because their performances were great and they really could, you know, tell a, tell a story with their expressions and they were great actors. But mm-hmm. today I feel like it's expected that you're also, unless you're a quote unquote character actor, it's all, if you're a lead, it's expected that you're also very conventionally handsome in a magazine-y kind of way. Everybody's going to have abs, you know, and yeah. And Tom uh, Cruise is a great example of that. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I just, I just thought it, it was funny to me that, cause I thought, you know, I wonder how old these different actors actors uh-huh. were and, and that's just one of those things where it, it freaks you out a little bit when you start watching some of these old movies and you're like oh I thought this guy was 50 and he was 35 or he was 29 or whatever at the right. time you know I don't know it's just but it's definitely I, I think you're right it's so um, and I mean it's always been that way to a degree because you know you had Marilyn Monroe in the 50s or whatever although she was a much different body type than than what we have today but like I think particularly for male actors, it's, you know, they're all, everybody now, it's like they're an Abercrombie model or something, you know, where you had these guys back then that were just kind of these regular guys who, you know, it wasn't like they were overweight or anything like that, but it wasn't like they, they didn't look like they spent, you know, half of their time in the gym and, 
and all that kind of thing. You know, they were, and like I say, everybody smoked back then too. So I think, I think that, I think that definitely made everybody look older than probably, you know, aged them more than they, you know, but. So, so what do you think? You get a thumbs up on this one, thumbs down. I think again, like I say, it's, it's impossible to separate the, the nostalgia factor. I think it's a a thumbs up. I, I think it has over time has gained an audience. And I was looking on IMDb. I was a little bit surprised. It's the, uh, uh, the rating on there is a six, which I think is about right. You know, I, I think this is a movie that's about a six. There's a, um, like I say, it's, it's the concepts are good. Um, it's just they clearly were trying to, you know, it was clearly a studio that was kind of trying to rip Star Wars off. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't quite 100% work. That's one just real quick aside that I wanted to ask you about. It amazes me that we didn't get more Star Wars ripoffs. Right. You know, and not that it's a, a ripoff per se. Well, but this the, one isn't even, I mean, I, I get what you're saying in terms of trying to capitalize on a Star Wars. But it's not phenomenon. a space opera, you know. No, it's a, no. it's, it's, a, it's a, it, it really, I think it plays, like you say, it plays more like a mystery. But from the trailer, again, they market it as a horror film. Yeah. And Star Wars is not that. I mean, there's no. scary elements and aliens and Darth Vader and stuff, but it's, it's, it's the princess in the tower. And I think it's, it's it's probably accidental since the, they came out in the same year, but there were even things about this that reminded me a little bit of alien, you know, because it's kind of, you know, when they first get there, they think it's kind of like a ghost ship, you know? Um, but with the, especially now with the special effects that we have about the only kind of series that I can think of that is very, Star Wars is Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, we don't get a lot of movies where it's just kind of people hopping from planet. You know, they get in the we have lots of sci fi movies like this where it's space exploration is very um, presented in a real way as opposed to Star Wars where it's just, you know, they go around in their ships and they're, it's almost like cars, you know. Um, yeah. Almost yeah, like yeah, flying cars that they're taking from planet to planet. And it it kind of surprises me that that hasn't been done more. You know, it's interesting because I've been watching Star Trek and Star Trek, particularly in the next generation, is quite different. Like they spend a lot of time. They're always in the ship. Yeah, they go down to planets and stuff, but they spend all their time in the Enterprise and mm-hmm. they're like, how long is it going to take to, you know, Xanthar six or wherever they're going. And it's like, you know, two days, uh, 13 hours, you know, at present speed, they're going like warp six or something. You know what I mean? And you, you think, Oh, well in star Wars, they just like make the jump and they're there, you know, you don't spend time in the transit. It's like, we got to go to Tantooine and there's no like, well, there's no it, science in it. It'll, it'll take yeah. us four days to get to Tatooine, yeah. right? And it, no, no story happens in those four days. It's just like, okay, let's go. Oh, yeah. wow. Tatooine's really gotten worse since I was, you know, it's like they yeah. just, they're there. 
I think, I think that's really interesting. That's a good point you make is that there's a lot of just non-science in Star Wars. It just treats these different planets like imaginary playgrounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had this conversation about Dune, too. It's like, this is the jungle planet. This is the desert planet. This is the city planet. This is the, right? So it's almost like the universe is Earth, and they're just going to different places. Oh, we're going to go take a trip to the jungle now and hunt this out. Oh, this is the scene that happens in the big city. Beep, 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 politics, you know? And oh, yeah. now we're in the desert. Oh, don't forget your water suit. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the Dune trailer, I think, is supposed to hit. I think it's September 9th when it's supposed to, the trailer yeah, that'll be, I saw something about it being leaked, but I haven't gone looking for mm -hmm. it yet. I'm excited. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be cool. So what do you think about the black hole? Do you, would you, so basically yeah. I would, I would recommend this, you know, it's, it's going to be one of these things where I think people who have no attachment to this from childhood, if they watch it now and as an, as an adult, they might, think it's kind of corny I, I can't imagine that kids today watching this would be very interested in it because like you said it moves slowly i don't i don't think it's fast enough for for kids today it's an adult movie like you said you i, I would say i recommend it because it's an interesting watch and i think there are moments and elements of real greatness and originality in it that then get kind of pulled in a bunch of different directions by different and it has to be studio interests right? i think so yeah and i think if they you know if this came out the same year as alien right like this movie if they had decided to make this a horror or you know that's more of a monster in the dark movie mm -hmm. this is more of you know you're on the mad scientist ship and it's the horror comes from realizing how mad he is and how much danger you're actually in. And then realizing, Oh my gosh, he he's not sitting here studying the black hole. He wants to go into it, you know, and it's the peeling back of the layers of the lies and the, you know, I, I think if they, if this had been just aimed at adults, this could have been a really blood curdling, chilling movie. Yeah. But it was Disney and it was like, you know, it's like, remember, this is going to be, I think they were thinking for whole families, but there's going to be little kids in the audience. And I think in some ways that really, because it doesn't succeed as a little kids movie. And that hinders it from being a truly scary adult sci-fi horror mystery. I thought more than one time uh, while I was watching this, how cool it would be if there were like an R-rated cut of this out there somewhere, you know? I mean, I know it doesn't exist, but like... Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you lost all the kiddie elements, you could have made the bad robots a little more scarier. You could have made Maximilian... Like a reboot's an interesting concept because you could make Maximilian just as scary without all the overt... Like, it doesn't need to have red evil looking eyes that are sort of you know turned mm. up at the edges like he's snarling at you you know just the fact that he's red and there and all, he has the the sound design again is his hovering is sort of like you know 
Yeah. Uh, it's ominous and it's, it's really a memorable and creepy and the, the blade thing, the spinning blade hands, it's not a lightsaber, but it's, it's cool and upsetting in the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, there's no R rated cut here, but I think you could have gone a lot deeper into the psychological terror of it. If you hadn't been, if you could have given it an R rating and I, I wouldn't necessarily advocate, I'm not a gore person, so I don't need a no, lot. No, no, not necessarily the gore aspect of it. I just, I guess it wouldn't but have to be could've... rated R, but just excise the, the kitty stuff. Yeah, we could have gotten a little more into what happened to those crew members and how that insurrection took place yeah. and the process. Yeah. Like, we see them and they're sort of robots and they're sort of a light effect that gets you in the forehead that somehow turns you into a robot. But you could have some fun with like um, cybernetic prosthesis design and you know what I mean? When they take the mask off, that could be a lot more upsetting. And, mm hmm you could have one of them could be sort of semi-conscious or she could find her dad and he's sort of still alive, but clearly not like it could be really upsetting. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, anyway, so I would say, yeah, check it out, especially if you're from our generation or you're into the genre. Um, I think a six is about right. I think, you know, it, it set out, it could have been an eight, but then it had a couple of different albatrosses around its neck that took it down to about a six. That seems yep. right to me. Okay. Um, well, thank you for joining us. This has been a lot of fun and we will um, see you again next week.